0: Everybody, this is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast, and I'm sitting here at the Banquet right in front of a good friend of mine, Lee Kelly. How's it going?
1: I am so excited to be here.
0: This is it's great, me. man. So, Lee Kelly, oh my God. So, we're talking Hank Jr., Little Texas, Gary Allen, Mark Chestnut, Heidi Neufeld, Montgomery Gentry. Well, we'll talk about the Montgomery yeah. Gentry the almost, <laughs> connection, the almost Montgomery Gentry again in a little
1: bit. But, uh, man, you're just a road dog, man. I just like playing with different people. That was the thing when I got into uh, bands in the Carolinas. There'd be jam nights yeah, that right, I found yeah. out about in Charlotte, and once that bug hit of sitting in and different people playing with different people and getting thrown in a fire and see if you can get out. Oh, okay. As, as I what? What? Mean, yeah. <laughs> what uh, a friend of mine put it where he threw a John Hyatt song at me that I'd never played. He. Told me what the rhythm was. and like, okay, I'm gonna throw you in a fire and see if you can get the hell out. Was what he said. Yeah. I'm like, I like that. Okay. There's something challenging and fun about it. It gets you bigger ears. Yeah. Right. And I just like playing with different people. Yeah. It's it's more fun to me. The variety of spice of life, kind of thing. Yeah. So one
0: question is, now we're gonna get to like how you got started and all that in just a yeah. minute. But you you mentioned um, playing with all these different artists. Um, how do you approach a different gig? Like, say you're playing with Heidi Newfield. Do you uh, are you just yourself all the time, or do you try and kind of make like, well, I'm gonna play this music, so I'm gonna change my kit around a little bit, maybe change the way I play a tad to match the gig? And then when you're playing with Hank Jr., is that like, are you like animal back there? I mean, <laughs> what, how does it, how do you change your, um, your thing?
1: Just dynamic wise, just whatever. everything style. Uh, maybe not so much style, but you definitely listen to the recordings. That's my biggest thing is go yeah. back to okay, what are we playing and what's the reference material and let me get in there and embody that and chart it all out. So honor the song basically. Oh, right? for sure, As best you can, for yeah. sure, because they're not coming to see me, you know, act like an idiot behind them. They're coming to see the songs that that person. I would come to see that. Well, yeah, well, you're a drummer, <laughs> but if. if they're going to see the person's name on the marquee. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. And it's not your name on the marquee if you're a side man. And I like yeah. being a side man because of the variety of people I get to play with. Okay, okay. And it's so much more fun to me and challenging to me to, hey, you're going to go do this gig. Um, here, chart it out. You yeah. know, Or like when I went in to do the Little Texas gig, I knew Dale and I knew... Dwayne Propes for right, years right but I didn't know Dwayne O'Brien or Porter Howe so Porter called me goes hey do you need a rehearsal? I'm like no nah, I'm good he goes well, what are you gonna do I said I'll Nashville number chart the songs out you know instead of 45 11 or whatever yeah. I do one two three four for four bars oh I said yeah I got, and you then write, got your own yeah, yeah and then you write drum notation in between the numbers sure is what yeah. I do yeah, and then constant listening to it, yeah. constant listening until you can walk in and clock the gig. Yeah, like you're ready to go on stage, and that's how I've gone into Little Texas. That's how when I subbed for Loverboy, I did that. It was oh wow, I didn't know you subbed for Loverboy. That's yeah, I cool. did. A, I did like five. Wait, dates. wait,
0: hold on a second. Did you get to play working for the weekend? I the did. And the, oh, I'm so jealous. I gotta play so all jealous. of them. When we're at Soundcheck and we, you know, we're me and Michael Britt, our guitar player, we we're right. big rock guys, you know. So uh, we'll finish d- uh, Soundcheck and Tequila Talking, which is a mid-tempo country song. Mm. And I always think it's funny. Not I don't do this all the time, but every once in a while, if nothing's going on and nobody has any issues or anything, I'll just go tonk, tonk, tonk. <laughs> and Michael will be right on. he'll go da do do so that because that song, you could play that, that intro after any song on the planet and it would be super cool oh for I mean, sure right. you just end like uh, uh, it could be anything you know something from like Tim McGraw or something like that and it just trails off and off tom, 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 and people are gonna yeah. go oh
1: yeah it's a signature thing and when I did it when I subbed for Matt I'd known Mike Reno for like 15 years and then met oh. Matt separately wow through mutual friend from Zil- that used to work at Zildjian named yeah. Jim McGathy. And Matt had his family in North Carolina, and both of his kids were in ballet, one in Florida and one at the Met in New York. Serious. And he and his wife uh, live in Raleigh, and they were thinking about relocating to Nashville. So, hey, here, let me have him call Lee. And we developed a friendship out of that. That's cool. Then a few years later, he took some time off for a month. I was like, hey, would you go do this? And you to go play with Loverboy. And it's it's four of the original five guys. The bass player passed away, Scott. And it was cool you bring up working for the weekend because after we'd done the first sound check and I played two or three, and they're like, okay, we're going to be fine. It'll be okay. You know, the attention to detail, charting everything and listening to the live tapes Mm -hmm. constantly and uh, having Maddie tell me, okay, remember – every band and you know this yeah. every band has a guy it emanates from yeah okay where the buck stops with them yeah okay kind gotcha, of thing yeah. you know yeah and with them it's paul dean so you listen intently to his guitar yeah. you still listen to spider's bass and all that stuff yeah but where it sits yeah you know, That's it's your a guide little, right there. Yeah, yeah, it's a little more laid back than the records were.
0: Right. You know, it might be. So there's be... no click. You're not on a grid or anything. No. Like that. So on. Let me. Let me. Let me just. Add, I'm just. I'm so fascinated by this whole. I'm fanboying on uh, on Loverboy here. Um, oh, believe me, on, I did on too. <laughs> Turn me loose. Is that you? Are you just like on the hi hat? I played it
1: exactly how Matt played it on the record i
0: mean Tim, do you have a little metronome that you kind of like at least started off with oh or yeah something, um, guide
1: if you go to my youtube page there's three videos i put up from subbing for yeah. them and you can hear me as reno's talking yeah you can hear me hit the click for a reference oh, oh i got yeah and okay, then i'll yeah. shut it off yeah and then i have that handy little uh is it i don't know if it's called tempo live bpm okay right that uh app on the phone okay Remember the beat bugs? Yeah, I remember that. that Set on the snare. Sure, yeah. It's that in a in a phone. Okay. So you can just let you know if you're going up or down or faster slow. And you don't have to have a click going or try to lock everybody down to that. Wow, that's wild. It can float, and so I use that. Constantly, unless I'm on something like a sequencer or it's required. Okay, what's it called again? The app? It's called
0: Live BPM. Live BPM. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. It lets you know if you're going, you know, visually.
1: Oh, for only sure.
0: If you're going uh, faster or slower, and you just can kind of hone in on that tempo. Yeah,
1: line. to the one one hundredths of a, what is it, tens and then 100s. Yeah, hundredths. wow. To one one hundredth of a second or Test a Test your time, right? A BPM. <laughs> See if, how you... Well, then you know. Okay, this is how it feels here. Yeah, right. You yeah. can and That's you can true. lock it down That's and go. True. Okay, and you can lock it down there. So and then it's yeah, off. Right. And I just look over, even with the little Texas guys, yeah. Hank. If so I play like downtown, one and a half beats per minute could
0: make a difference between a, a sort of a groove or a pocket and not. Yeah,
1: I mean, wouldn't you say? It can. Yeah, it depends on if everybody's moving with you, right? Right, yeah. Uh, like playing kick a little with like, Little Texas, it moves, you know, left and right yeah. and whatever. But it's, it's interesting. M- but it's not bad or noticeable. Yeah. It breathes. I noticed that
0: Michael was telling me that he went and saw, I wanted, I don't remember who it was, it was, like Steely Dan or somebody, and this drummer was playing with them. Hope I'm not getting in trouble here, but uh, the drummer was playing with them, and he said it just to him, it was at the Ryman, and to him it sounded like the he was constantly on top of the beat the whole time. And it may, it just didn't it didn't have that feel like you'd like like you want that where it sits right down in that nice pocket and the band's just like comfortable it sounded like that he said it It sounded like whoever was playing drums with them at the time was on so that's what i mean like it could make a difference between uh, feeling r- sort of urgent or really being comfortable
1: and then that goes back to where does it emanate from is yeah, it emanating yeah. from donald fagan
0: since right, he's yeah.
1: since he's that guy does he
0: want it that way did he say keep keep it on the edge keep on top yeah
1: for sure Don't drag you know yeah and um oh one more thing about the Loverboy thing is after we had done the sound check yeah paul came over to me he goes hey do you have the live tape i said yeah it's up in my room he goes well let's go run it down so okay. we went we went up to my room and listened there you go
0: i was just telling i love it
1: i was just telling lee
0: before we started recording, that uh, he said this place, this band cave, is really nice. It'd make a good studio, and I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> because the train comes by. <laughs> the train comes by every once in a while, and here, of course, just like all right on cue.
1: That's perfect, that's our, And I call
0: it our horn section. That's I love our horn it. Section. I love it. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> so I'm sorry. No, the train it's interruption. It's great,
1: man. So we go up to the room and we're listening down to everything, and working for the weekend is. The last song, except for loving every minute of it, was after that. Oh, wow, cool. So um, we get to working for the weekend, and I just paused the computer, and I looked at Paul and said, how cool is it? I mean, and you guys had career songs, too. Yeah, if right, If you have yeah. career songs and you can you know, ride that, yeah, right. that's amazing to yeah. me. And we got to that, and I said, man, how cool is it that you not only wrote a song that gets played – Every Friday at five o'clock, somewhere, that's right. Somewhere, (laughs) every day at five o'clock, that song is played. Somewhere, you know, you guys have staples that will never go away. He's like, "See this Rolex right here? That's uh...
0: oh, you know, it's 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 five o'clock on my Rolex right now." (laughs) Right, you know,
1: and it's just, and he got this sly grin. He goes, "Yeah, "Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool." (laughs) (laughs) It's like, man, it's funny. Wow,
0: I just remember when that song came out. I was just like. That that was the it was in '81 when I graduated. Mm-hmm. 1981 graduated high school and that was like that song was out and it was like a big
1: thing. Yeah, they were the first band I saw on MTV. Right. The minute I the minute yeah. I turned it on, Lucky Ones that's came right. on. Right, that's right. That and was I was, one was like, '81
0: was the first yeah year of
1: MTV. Yeah, and we didn't get it till '82 or '83 yeah. in Concord. Yeah, but by the time we did. A, the next day in homeroom was like, "Did you see this? She's Did that. you see that? Holy cow! It's She's the that. first time we we didn't have to buy a ticket to go see yeah. somebody or
0: hope you saw right, the midnight no. special on the, something." See, I always tell people, uh, young people now that that didn't know what it was like back then when without like YouTube and all that stuff, is when a band came out, you heard them on the radio first first usually, and you had no idea what they looked like. You don't know how many people were in the band. You didn't know. You know, if they had short hair, long hair, whatever, but well, you could watch the, uh, MTV when MTV came out. You could watch MTV and you could see these people that you heard on the radio. You could finally see what they look like, and that was huge.
1: Oh, it's amazing! Us. Yeah, that was like,
0: oh, look at this! I,
1: wow, that guy doesn't look like I thought he would look. You know, and seeing like the Friday night concerts yeah. they'd run, mm-hmm. like they ran um, when uh, Rush had Exit Stage Left out, yeah, and they had right. that. Hour long concert video out. Wow. I ordered it on VHS and it took six weeks for the store to get it. Wow. It, you know, yeah. back then. Yeah. But you can see, like, being able to see the tubes on, yeah, right. on in concert where they're not going to come to Charlotte, but yeah. boy, look. There they are.
0: That's that's great. Yeah, and nowadays you just look up on YouTube and there they are. You know, like they've always they've been on there since when they started their career. You know. Yeah, and I
1: love that now because now you can see bands from all over the world that you like. I'm a big fan. There's a melodic rock band in England called Thunder. Thunder. Okay. And they had a couple of U.S. albums out, but never really broke here. Yeah. You said instrumental rock. No, this is uh, Thunder is. is melodic rock. Melodic rock. Okay. So it's, right. it's, it's it's you know, it's the 80s melodic rock and they're still doing okay. it to this yeah. day. And like I was able to look up, they did a show in England and they're, <clears throat> you know, they're all our age or a little older now, yeah. but they still sound the same. Yeah, And it's the same That's band cool. guys that have been in it. And they did a couple of things over COVID where they got together and okay, we just put a record out. COVID hit. We can't promote it. All right, we'll go into a studio and or into a into, yeah. a into a room, and we're going to play the record down. That's great for man. for you. That's cool. And I, lo- I love that about YouTube. Yeah, it's like and you can find clips of like Jim Keltner playing with Ry Cooder or cool? yeah. the Little Village stuff or yeah. just some of know, that old
0: Steve Gadd stuff back in the seventies. Oh, you know, when he was playing with um, uh, Montrose or whatever what, Montrose or whatever it was that. That festival where mm-hmm. he's playing with, I forget who it was. Stuff, probably. Yeah. yeah. Probably the Stuff guys with Richard T. And, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And just, yeah. Man, just having access
1: just, to that stuff is crazy.
0: It's for a drummer, for drummers like us, it's it's like going to college. For sure. That's how you create a groove and a pocket and all that
1: stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing with like the drummeo stuff. Yeah, right. Um, I haven't gone through all of it and I want to, uh, but. I bought the Todd Zuckerman yeah. pack mm-hmm. in 2019. And I'll yeah. sporadically go back and get it. Uh, Todd's the most influential drummer of my age right. Right. that yeah. I know of. Wow. And I could just sit there and watch him play all day going, man, how does he do that? Yeah, And there's somebody out there
0: just starting out young that's looking at you going, man, how does he do that, man? Well,
1: and it's funny, Well, when I met Todd... He goes, oh, you live in Nashville? I said, yeah. He goes, do you know Pat McDonald? I'm like, yeah. Turns out he and Pat went to Berkeley together. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, funny about Pat, when I first, when I moved to town in 97, one, I have to thank you for two things. Okay. That before I forget, <laughs> I've been thinking about this. <laughs> okay. One, your era of country music from the early 90s, not the yep. class of 89, right. but from like 91 to 92, right. to when I moved in 97 was a huge realization to me that, oh, I can play that. That's just like melodic rock, but it's a little different. Right. But it's still great. Like, I can remember going to Coyote Joe's to see my buddy Rick Murray play. Yeah. He was in the house band. And I remember they they played No News. I remember that. They played Watermelon Crawl. And there was a couple other ones that I just went, oh, I get it. Yeah. And from that, I went backwards learning country. Yeah. You know, so then I when I moved here, it was like, oh, what did Buddy Harmon play on? Right. What's the Ray Price Shuffle? Uh, there you what's go. What's all yeah. this stuff? Right. Uh, and so, your era and you know, the the Lone Stars, the Little Texases, the Tracy Birds, yeah. was the thing that clicked it for me. Like, yeah. Oh, okay, that's great. The other thing <clears throat> that I need to thank you for. Is you were the guy that made me, or got me to switch to Evans Drumheads. Okay, right. We were playing together. It was the first time we ever met. And we were playing somewhere with Gary. You had the, it wasn't a Volker rack. What was the rack you had where you sat? Oh, yes, that was called, what was that thing called? Yeah,
0: but it was a... It was a rack system that you, it's built around a seat and it's like a a jet pilot seat and it leans, the whole kit is built around the seat and the plate that the seat sits on and everything goes up like a rocket launcher, kind of. And the idea was that if you leaned back to play, then gravity is not pulling your sticks down quite as hard. So it's easier to play drums on a wall than it is on the floor. Does okay. that make sense? You know, yeah. Because gravity's not pulling you down. So that was the whole idea, was to kind of lessen the gravity a little bit. And that was okay, and that worked great for about a year. And then it, things, because it was all kind of wibbly-wobbly, it was all like on one sort of uh, emanating off of one plate that you sat on. And it was real, uh, I had my cymbals up high. So it was real I remember that. like uh, sway, it would sway. And every single time Fred, my drum tech at the time, would get that kit out of the truck, Would roll it out. Everything was you would usually stay set up. Something had broken, right? Because of those roads of just like beating it up, you know, and bouncing up and down, and we'd have to fix something almost daily. So I went back to a pearl rack, Mm -hmm. and then had every basically the seat still leaning back, but I had to change everything to a pearl rack, and then eventually replace the seat with a
1: regular drum. (laughs) Slowly reverted back to normal drum kit. But I remember that, yeah, and. You had an Evans HD head right. on your snare, and I had just gone through a thing with uh, the company with the crown on it, where yeah, oh yeah, <clears throat> where i put a brand new drum head, snare drum head on, and with a thirty-minute set, the coating was gone, the head was oh, dead, no. and so I'm like, they'd gone through one of their periods where they it was just yeah. not coming out right. I
0: had one where a reverse dot on the the dot on the underside mm-hmm. in the studio on a session. A Lone Star session, the dot had come unglued and fell. Wow. And I, I, I looked in, I, know, I think I saw something. that I didn't see the dot. You threw the plastic. Right. Out. When I was looking down at it after that taken, I looked down very sort of crossing my fingers and looked up under the snare, and I saw that dot sitting down at the bottom head, you know, against the snare side. And uh, I asked the engineer, I said, you didn't by any chance hear any difference in the snare, did you? And he goes, no, not at all. And I was like, oh, thank God. And I went and changed snares, and uh, eventually I told Uh, forks drum closet who i think eventually had informed me that yeah they had a remo had a bad run of those they used a different company to put the glue that glues the dot okay onto the underside of the drum of the top head right they changed companies or the glue the people who glued made the glue or something was different and they said uh, they've, they've switched it back, so hopefully, once everybody buys out or whatever you want to call it, they recall all those drum heads, then it would be back to normal. But I think by that time, I'd
1: already, I'd already gone back to uh, Evans. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'd, I'd never used Evans until that point, and so I came back home, and. Tried them out. Yeah. And I was just shocked how great they were. They really do sound and, good. But you were the impetus behind that. <laughs> well, thank you. You really were. You saw me
0: banging the crap out Because I'm a hard hitter. I If anybody's oh, yeah. ever seen me play. And you're like, wow, well, it sounds good hitting it like that. Because I really am a firm believer that you have to, you really, maybe you don't need to, but for our kind of country, you, you, you need to hit those drums like you mean it. It's you know, more fun that really, way. And the band likes it better. They they There's no ambiguity about where the beat is when you play aggressive like that for sure
1: and i remember you saying to me he goes man you got to check this these heads out i can beat the crap out of it and it never gives and it (laughs) never dents or anything yeah and so i have started playing evans and now been on their roster since 2005 that's great and love them in fact they just made two new front heads for the hank thing this year for me well before we get into the hank thing i wanted to ask
0: you some questions about that but i want to talk about your beginnings um concord north carolina is where you grew up right yeah and i wanted to ask you and ask all my guests the same thing because i'm fascinated by this whole aspect of, of of life and music and that kind of thing was there a moment like some of us have that epiphany that you're in school or you're uh, what you could even be out of school it doesn't matter when you're young and you suddenly you just have that epiphany that when you see somebody play drums or you see a drum kit or, or whatever happens you're like that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that hits you, and you
1: just don't stop from that point. Did you have that moment? Oh, yeah. I want to hear I, about it. I was eight years old. Okay. Seven or eight years old. I had a next-door neighbor whose uh, family owned the Sundrop Bottling Company Wow. in our little town. Okay. It was, they were an independent bottler, so it wasn't a big corporation. They were an independent bottler in town. So they did Sundrop, Diet Sundrop. Grape Crush, Orange Crush, Double Cola, mm-hmm. and they were my neighbors. Yeah, And the son, John King, who's, uh, I think he's four or five years older than me, uh, maybe a little older, mm-hmm. he had a drum set. He had a Red Slingerland drum set.
0: And so you were eight,
1: nine, 10, 11, 12. He would have been about
0: 13 or something like that. 14, yeah, 14. 15. He was, yeah. I think
1: he was going into high school about as that I was age, at. Yeah. Okay. And for some reason, I ended up behind the kit and. It was very much like i can't remember if it's the count me in video or let there be drums documentary but somewhere in there taylor hawkins rest his soul tells the story how he started Mm -hmm. and it's almost identical where here sit down you do this with this hand yeah you do this with this foot yeah you hit this drum with this your left hand all at the same time and and you do this yeah and somewhere i could do it first it was like whoa okay And then somewhere in there, Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry was new back then. Okay. Some. 77. Yeah, 76, 77. Somewhere along the line, John had me play to that and I could play to it. I could. I don't know if I could do the intro right. Yeah. But I could keep time to it. And it was kind of. He even had like his cousin come down the street like you're not gonna believe this kid next door <laughs> can actually keep time with this at wow. seven or eight years old. That's cool. So not knowing if I would take to it, yeah. uh, I'd hang out, you know, when I could at his house and at one point he got a Ludwig Vista light kit, a blue okay. Vista light kit. Right. So he had two drum sets in his basement. Wow. Yeah. Lucky. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they owned the model <laughs> no, company. Right. They yeah. were they were Thank God. they were doing pretty well. And so he would show me certain things and play to records, and finally, about two or three years later, when I was around ten, uh, my parents went to him and said, "Is is this going to take? Because I was a kid that uh, was yeah. all they over the sure. place. Is this going
0: to be a passing fancy?
1: Yeah, is this going to be a passing fade, or is it actually going to take?" And John kind of, well, he's into it, and so they got me. A CB 700 uh, drum kit. Oh, I had a CB 700 when I was really. Yeah, Isn't I did. That great. It was just one of those things that
0: somebody was selling it in a neighbor. and Then I had bought it for like 250 bucks or something like that. What they a were, deal! Yeah, it was. It was. But I remember them being sort of like CB 700 was kind of like the the B grade of the drums. Like you, it wasn't like Ludwig or. No. Uh, and I ended up buying a Rogers kit uh, was my first like decent set of drums. But I How had the CB seven hundreds, uh, 19, something oh, like that. You got right a, out of high school.
1: You got a nice kit before I did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, there was a in I was living in Dallas area, and uh, one I was in this little garage band, and the lead singer said, "Have you seen that Rogers kit down at Zoo Music?" And I was like, "No, what is it?" He goes, "Oh man, dude, man, it's a double bass kit, all this like aqua blue color, and and he." I went, oh, I got check this out. And I ended up buying them. <laughs> so, Love and it. that was with me all the way through Canyon and all those all those other. What size were the kick drums? 22s. Really? Yeah. Cool. Not very deep either. They were kind of shallow. They Probably were kind 14s. Of shallow 20s. Yeah, right. But the cool thing about that kit, I always tell people, is that it was a double bass and it was like the Neil Peart kit. You know, it had like five toms or whatever. Nice. Bass, you know? And I could turn that. I didn't like playing double bass that much because with every... When you add a second bass drum, then think about the implications. You have to have another pedal. You have to have another case. You have to have another head. You got to replace. You got to have another microphone. You got to have another cable. You got to have another channel on the board. You got to have another EQ. It just goes on and on and on and on. Room for it? Where are you going to put it? You know, in the van or whatever. So I quickly just kept just the one. But you could take that double bass kit and turn it into two kits. So I had a practice kit at home that was my Rogers and the and the other drums. The, the my favorite ones I took out on the road.
1: That's great. So I had a practice kit and a normal. You know, That's great.
0: A road kit. So yeah.
1: But it was it was Christmas, like nineteen seventy eight right. or nine, right? And they got me this CB seven hundred wow. kit. They, they had, had they had John come over and play Santa in the night and set it up. Oh, that's so. So, it, so yeah. when I got up, it was set up correctly. Wow! And in the living room or something or it was, the yeah, it was in the living room oh, and then it wow. got moved to what we called our pool room because we had a big pool table in there.
0: Right, and. Wow. Um, I can picture it now. I can See, just picture it: basement and, with shag carpet, and the pool table, right. and the drum set in the corner, yeah. right back in the corner.
1: Oh yeah, and <laughs> and so just start playing records from there. Yeah.
0: Did and you get much flack from your parents or anything? It was like, oh,
1: take a break. we gonna. Luckily, they were very forgiving, and so was the neighborhood. <laughs> It was like, there's was okay, always that. Yeah, you can play till 10 p.m. That was kind and of the thing. The rest of us want to watch, uh, you know, Dukes of Hazard. so. Right. But by the time I had gotten into school band in seventh grade, I already been playing drum set for five years. Wow. Nice. Didn't really know note notation. Yeah. But could play to records. You could fairly. play by ear. You could hear stuff. and. Yeah. But then I learned note notation in, in middle school and high right. school. So you did join the, the band at school and, oh, yeah. and drums there? Yeah. Symphonic. Um, But my parents, they still didn't view it as a vocation, and it wasn't seen as a vocation in Concord. Back then, it wasn't like it is now where all the cities are kind of connected and are out of a bigger city. Right, yeah. Back then, to us, Charlotte was a million miles away from Concord, even though it was only 25 miles away. Right. It was still like going to Charlotte was a big deal. You know how that is. Yeah, right. If you lived – A big uh, city. Yeah, if you lived outside of Dallas, you know – Going into Dallas was a big yeah, deal,
0: right? You did. You only did it once a week or once every couple of weeks or something. Yeah, yeah, if
1: that, you yeah. know, you might, oh, we're going to go to a nice restaurant. That's really we're going to go to the mall. Oh, we, we, boy, would we get excited if we yeah. they mentioned mall. So there wasn't that kind of thing until I hit fifteen or sixteen, and went to a place called the Magic Attic in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which was part of the Pavilion in Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Uh, by this point, my parents had bought a condo in North Myrtle Beach in Cherry Grove, which was like thirty miles away. Yeah, uh, you know, there's four sections that make up North Myrtle Beach. And nobody was smart enough to go, or they just went, well, we're north of Myrtle Beach. Let's call it North Myrtle Beach. Hey, but back then, Alabama was playing in Myrtle Beach. They were like in a club or something. They had already gotten a record deal. Actually, I saw them live in eighty. I saw them on the fans tour in 83 or 84. So that would have been mid-70s, early to mid-70s that Alabama had the Myrtle
0: Beach thing. Yeah. Yeah, they did the Bowery there for a long time. Oh, and I might want to say, we are opening for Alabama at the end of this month on the That'll 29th great, man. in west palm beach i'm <sighs> so excited the last time we played that i ever did a show with alabama was back at the strawberry festival Yeah. back in, in the
1: 90s man it's been a long time yeah well i saw him with uh when my brother took me to see him my first concert was rush that was my first concert wow well, what, what, what year Sainzies, was it? we just fist bumped what year was that
0: for you. That was 81, 80, 80 or, 80 or 81. It was 81. 81. Okay, so I was a you saw, in high you yeah. saw
1: either the moving
0: pictures tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they were doing that. That album had just come
1: out. I saw signals. Yeah. I saw okay. the next right. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But was already like, didn't necessarily, I wanted to be able to play that stuff. I know, right. But yeah. it doesn't apply. <laughs> but it still amazed me like three guys making that much sound. Right, yeah. And how did they do that? And and then, then he writes and the lyrics. And all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and i've seen them probably more than anybody except maybe king's ex okay or yeah. mr big depending on you yeah. know how many man if you're a drummer you you just have you had to see rush i mean that was just oh. like you you know i made my ex-wife go see him once <laughs> just like you just have to see it and she made it all the way to the last song she made it all the yeah. way to working man
0: yeah and she goes of, can we
1: go now you know Rush is kind of a guy's
0: music, I have to say. Now, I'm probably going to get in trouble here by saying that because there's probably a lot of girls out there that love Rush, but I have a comedian buddy that says girls don't like Rush because girls need a chorus. They, they That's, and, and <laughs> Rush doesn't seem to ever have a
1: chorus. and no. no, the
0: girls they, they gotta have a chorus.
1: No, but so. and then somewhere in there, uh, whenever Alabama did the fans tour, okay, yeah. Uh, my brother took Winston took me and Charlie Daniels Band opened. Yeah. So it's Charlie Daniels Band in Alabama. And honestly, I was expecting to see the two drummers. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. No. They've gone to
0: that other guy with the place, Traditional Grip, the guy with the headband?
1: uh, Jack. Jack. Jack Jack Gavin. Oh, what a great drummer. I know. He had just started with them that
0: year, and I didn't know that. That backbeat, man, that went from, like, the Charlie Daniels with the two drummers was kind of, like, there was you could hear some drums and it was kind of you know, you it's mostly the fiddle. Then when that when Jack joined, it was like there's that backbeat. He had that yeah. fat, fat snare and it was you could just see him playing that backbeat.
1: He was locked in on that backbeat, right? Yeah, and apparently Charlie loved Cause drummers, yes. Like I know Pat told me when he went into the gig, he was playing it safe, and you know, yeah. You've I had seen Pat that same play. Conversation
0: with him where he said, "Charlie said, just do whatever you want." Exactly. He goes, You're the band. I'm not going to tell you how to play. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and Pat to me is one of the most underrated, unknown, versatile guys yeah. I've ever seen in my life. When I first moved to Nashville, within one month of me moving, it was me. Rich Redmond, Jim Riley, and Pat wow all moved at the same time. Wow. Dang. And I'm the least qualified out of all. all, They've gone to school for it. I had not, you know, passed high school. Yeah. And I remember the first time uh, Mike Brookshire and the Starving Hounds with Mike Kennedy, rest his soul, playing, gave Pat a chorus, gave him a solo. Wow. And the room stopped. Wow. It was like everybody just went, What is that? Great drummer, Pat. Oh, just amazing. And I'm so glad he's doing well. He's had some health stuff, but he's doing great. But it's neat to see. And I always thought Charlie Daniels is a southern rock band more than a country band. absolutely, yeah. But seeing them in Alabama, and that was with uh, Mark playing drums.
0: You know, uh, Charlie Daniels is one of the few actual country bands that that Q102 out of Dallas, which is a completely rock station, Q102, Texas Best Rock. Um, they would play Charlie Daniels songs, Same thing. whatever the new song was, and they kind of were. Seemed like some of the ones were sort of politically driven a little bit. But still in Saigon and some of those other songs. But Q one hundred and two always played Charlie
1: Daniels. And you found I found out later why that was. Charlie wasn't signed through a Nashville oh. through the Nashville division of CBS Records. that right? Right. His deal and their deal was through the New York office. So the promotions thing is completely totally, I different get that now. Yeah. And, you know, once I heard that, I was like, oh, no wonder we heard it everywhere.
0: Sure. I just always thought it was because it was like, like Skinner or something like that. Very Southern rock. And, but now that's interesting to learn the real true origins as to why it would have been on rock radio more than country radio.
1: Yeah. If you have that stream fighting for you. Sure. They're going to fight
0: for the rock stuff. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So you um went through high school playing drums in yeah. a, like marching band and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Uh, and then uh so here's that moment where you're thinking about uh you're out of high school, you're gonna graduate, you're gonna either go to college or you're gonna play drums or you're gonna obviously you're gonna play <clears throat> drums, right? I mean, did,
1: well, it, was, was no... it no, it wasn't that. Uh my parents didn't see it as a vocation. Oh. Uh yeah. we didn't know about Berkeley School of Music. Um by this point my Family had had a condo in Cherry Grove, South Carolina, since I was 11. Okay. And I was working summer jobs by the time I was 12. Okay. Uh, like, worked in an arcade. Before ski ball machines were automatic, you would have to walk up and down and give tickets ah, out okay. to so, whatever score of the medal, you know. And scored. that would have been on Myrtle Beach somewhere, right? This, like, was, oh. this was in Cherry Grove, South Carolina, at the stoplight at Family Funland Arcade. Well, there you go. Because my mom, I laid around for when I was 11 for one summer and was a complete beach bum. <laughs> then the next year my mom was like, and this was early you know, 80s where you could probably go get a job at a grocery store bagging groceries right. or yeah. whatever. Right. And she goes, you need to go find something to do. And there was a grocery store at the end of the road and there was, or, or at the main square, yeah. a surf shop, all this other stuff, there was an arcade. Yeah. And for some reason I walked in an arcade and they were looking for a kid to pass out skee ball tickets. They usually had one guy in the change booth. Yeah. And then whoever the you know the skee ball kid would yeah. sit next to the change that booth. That sounds like a cool nickname. Hey skee Ball, come here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was right on the beach up until Hurricane Hugo blew it away. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was owned by one of the uh, really well-known families in the area, the Nixons, who had a couple of different businesses. Like, they had a putt-putt course down the street. They had this. One of the uh, Nixons was a doctor and stuff like that. So, and then when I got to high school, when we got to summer, this is where it comes into play, my band director did come to me and go, you you're probably good enough to try it for drum corps. I'm like, okay, what's that? And he explains it to me. It's in the summer. You know, yeah. it's, you're in a parking lot for six, seven hours, a bunch of that. dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and in the heat. It, yeah, in the heat. Then you get on a bus and go, the weekends, go, I'm like, let's see that, or go back down to the beach and hang out in the arcade <laughs> on the beach. I'm going to go hang out on the Gee, beach. Gee, let me think. Yeah. <laughs> but somewhere in there, when I was about 15 or 16, we went to the Magic Attic and saw this band called Sugar Creek. Okay. Sugar Creek was a regional rock band but their region ran from Florida to New York. Wow. Just the East Coast, huh? Yeah, and by the and time it. I saw them, they had already done Star Search. Like they were on oh, yeah. Star Search the year after Sawyer Brown won it. Okay, right. And they won it three and was times. Like
0: 83 or 82 83, 84, 84,
1: 85. Yeah. And they had won it three times but didn't or won it twice and didn't clinch the third one to get into the finals like Sawyer Brown did. Yeah. Sugar Creek, right? Sugar, Sugar Creek, yeah. yeah. Um it's hard to find their stuff on streaming because you know it's five or six guys. And, yeah, you know, right. One leader, Rick yeah. Lee, uh-huh. my buddy. But th- and but they put out independently. They put out their own records. They mm-hmm. would open up fracks, and somehow, the following year when I was sixteen and could drive myself, I realized, oh wait a minute, two guys from Sugar Creek went to my high school, Rick Lee, mm-hmm. and the sound guy I mentioned about the Gino Vanelli thing, yeah, Gray right. Peck. Okay. Gray was Sugar Creek Sound Guy. And I somehow I got the idea, I didn't write for the school paper, but somehow I got the idea of somebody in our school paper needs to interview these guys. Yeah. Right. I mean, these to me, they're local celebrities. they, they did it. Yeah. Look at these are guys that went to my high school that did it. Yeah. And so I got in, somehow I got to interview them for our school paper, yeah, and somewhere in there I mouthed off and said I could I could probably sit in with y'all and play one of y'all's originals, yeah. And they they went for it. Oh no, they're like, okay, we got it set
0: up right here. Let's see, let's see what you well, got. No,
1: it wasn't <laughs> that. It was uh, Rick was like, all right, uh, you're serious, kid. All <laughs> right, okay. And Rick Lee is a big proponent. Of musicians in the Carolina area. Okay, right. Huge influence on everybody that's come across his path. Yeah, and he saw something in me. He went to school with my brothers, and Rick is thirteen years older than I am, so he's sixty three. No, no, he's he's seventy now. Sorry, yeah. he's sixteen years older than I am. And he saw something in me that he said, "Okay, kid, we're gonna set something up where you come by for sound check one day." Yeah. And we'll see. And so I went went by when I was supposed to, and they'd had a band fight, so everybody left. Oh no! And the guitar yep. player Jerry West was there, and he and one of the uh, one of the stage uh, crew guys Tally Fisher was there. They're by like, yeah, you're 16, you're supposed to sit in with us. Okay, whatever. And Jerry was messing with his rig, and he goes, "Hey kid, what are you?" Rick, you're supposed to sit in with us. She goes, what are you supposed to play? And I said, song-, I said, which was one of their yeah. originals, off of their second. So record. So you actually had a song picked out and everything. Oh yeah. You yeah. Were supposed to do. Okay. As, and and of course, you went and learned it. And oh god, uh, well, wow, I've cool. been listening to their stuff constantly because I thought these are guys who live in the town next to me. Right. Yeah. And they've done it. So how me. did it go? Do you you played it? Did, did you did you yeah, rock we, it out? Uh, well, went up and Lynn Samples, the drummer, had a. Real snare drum, real cymbals, but Simmons was the thing. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So he had an SDS-5 kit cool. okay. where he took the snare pad and put it up here for an effect. Okay, yeah. But he used the toms and the kick drum. Yeah, okay, cool. And they were all off. Oh, yeah. So cymbals and snare playing through this with Jerry. And Jerry went to Rick and said, the kid can play. So they got me up there that night in front of probably 2,000 people. Really? And it's a teen it was a teen nightclub. And Sugar Creek or whatever band was there, yeah, would play two sets. So tonight. in the audience and the two thousand people, was that a lot of people you knew? Not that night, yeah. but after my class graduated and yeah. everybody was down there in nineteen eighty six, they all yeah. came to the club. And I, it's also when I did it after graduation. That was one of the few times I went to Rick and I went, "Hey man, a lot of my buddies are here tonight. You think I could sit yeah. in? Can you?" And he, <laughs> he went for it. That's cool. And so. They became my beacon, kind of. Yeah. And then I started seeing other bands from the area. Beach bands, rock bands, Mm -hmm. didn't matter. Uh, One of them, I'm not sure if he was in the band when I saw them, but there was a band out of, well, the bass player was. There was a band out of Raleigh called Sidewinder. Mm -hmm. And two members of that band back then now play for Sheryl Crow. I'll be done. Audley Freed and Robert Kearns. Wow. And I saw them play back then. And so that kind of became, ooh, I can go watch them yeah. at this teen nightclub. It was Sugar Creek, it, I went so much that Rick finally went to the Magic Attic people and said, if Lee shows up, don't charge him. He's part of the family. <laughs> yeah. cool. Wow. So I would go watch them constantly, and it was studying. Yeah. And, wow, look at them put on a show. I mean, they had lights and wow. PA and nice. everything. And so truck. did that sort of lead to your first gig, your actual first real gig? It actually did because – I did go to college. I have an English uh lit degree. Wow, nice. I was thinking about teaching high school until I went and observed and went, okay, this is <laughs> no, yeah, too much insanity for me. <laughs> Somewhere in there, Sugar Creek broke up. It was around 88, 89, and Rick called me at school. And first thing he said, he goes, I'm starting a new band, and you're the drummer. Wow. I'm like, this is a guy who's had professional bands since 1968. Yeah, and he wants That's me. Great.
0: Yeah, and he believed in you enough, that he saw something in you in the early on that, that yeah he knew. And we be- probably secretly thinking in his mind the whole time, like if I ever do this, this I want this kid to be my drummer.
1: Well, he's he just saw something in me, and we become really close friends. Gone and seen shows together, and he yeah. he took me under his wing. Like when Sugar Creek was still together, he calls me and says, "Come down to the club. I want to see if you can play to a click." And gets me behind. At that time, it was cool. the next drummer, John, and the click was coming through the PA cabinet behind oh him. Gosh, wow, that's Of course,
0: you don't have your monitors then. It's oh, the no. Yeah. No.
1: And Rick had me play to a click, and he said, he told me, he said, you actually were able to pick up on it pretty well. Wow. So we started a band called Too Much Sylvia, which started as a melodic rock band in 1990. Yeah. 1991, Nirvana hits. Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, and we had written ten songs. We were playing like Winger. We were doing a version of well, we were doing Yes is all good people, the entire thing. So this is the beginning of
0: Grunge pretty much, right? When Grunge yeah, sort of took over.
1: But we were doing yeah. the melodic rock right, stuff. Yeah, right. And like we were doing Kansas carrying On Wayward Sun. Yeah. We were doing uh Black Crows. Yeah. Uh, we were doing and then we had ten originals, which we never recorded except for on cassettes. Yeah. And then Nirvana hit, and it wiped out that entire thing. Yeah, And so Rick, in his wisdom, and knowing the market, yeah. he goes, look, one, the other three guys in the band were already pushing 40, and yeah. I was the youngest one. So they were already like, well, let's make it a variety band, which turned it into a you know where you could go play like the beach music circuit in the carolinas right which that's a specific thing yeah and so we did and rick would do sequences for like december 1963 of the frankie valley tune right and Uh he'd have all the percussion stuff happening and i'd play to a a click yeah Yeah, and it was great and he'd program like if we did september by earth wind and fire he'd program all the horns or play them live on his keys wow cool and it was, there were show band elements of it where the other three guys were in costume mm-hmm. and everything sequenced but the drums. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And so we started that band. That band just celebrated its 33rd year in existence wow. and playing. I mean, yeah. And about four or five years ago, they went into the Carolina Beach Music Hall of Fame. Wow, that's cool. Which is a big thing in that yeah, area. right. You know. and But yeah, Rick launched me wow. took me under his wing and then you know launched me and believed in me and yeah so
0: what led to uh nashville what led you to move to nashville in the midnight mid 90s 97, right? yeah, 97 i'd
1: i'd gotten out of too much sylvia in 94 to play with other people yeah it's like okay let me go play with some younger, or people closer to my age. Right, yeah. So play with blues bands and stuff like that. But still no country, really, to speak of, right? Not yeah, really, just solid. occasionally covers. Yeah. You know, like maybe friends in low places here or there. Yeah, right, yeah. I remember trying to get too much Sylvia to learn the Shenandoah song, If Bubba Can Dance. Right, yeah. And that just went over their heads. Wow, like, really? I'm like, yeah, but listen, that's, it's <laughs> that's like, cheeky, but it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and it's, you know, good dance beat. It really stuff. is good, like, Groove to it and everything. Right. But not really so much country, so I played a blues gig for a while. And then also, somewhere with Too Much Silver, we played. And a drummer percussionist from Charlotte, originally from Ohio, but he's known in Charlotte forever, named Jim Brock. Okay. Uh, Jim plays with Amy Ray from the Indigo Girls now. He played with Janice Ian for years and years. In fact, I met him when he was still playing with Janice. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jim has this unique way of playing. He plays a lot like Airto. Yeah. He, he can play drums and he can play drums with this one hand and play a kunga pattern with <laughs> oh my his gosh, left hand. Wow. And he's a world class percussionist. But somewhere we, were, as too much Sylvia was building its, you know, you could go play anywhere. So yeah. we'd, you know, we were playing a small restaurant club somewhere, and Jim was playing with a bunch of guys who I ended up playing with later. You know. Um, and Jim saw me play. I'll never forget because Jim's a big guy. He was standing in the back of his club, the club with his arms folded watching us the last set mm-hmm. after the band he was with had done, gotten done somewhere else. Right. And Jim came up and introduced himself. And I knew who he was. I had seen him play a couple of times. He yeah. you know, was like, oh, I know who you are. And Jim helped me tear down and load my drums up that night. And then four days later he called me and goes, Hey man, I got a gig for you. And he there was a band looking for a drummer and I didn't join the band at the time. Yeah. At that time in ninety four or three, because I was like, I'm still seeing what this too much Sylvia thing's gonna do.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: You know, and I'm twenty three and kind of unsure. It's pretty cool to have choices. I mean, like, oh, at, it was, at it was, that it, age, it, you know. Well, I was just shocked and I was working at Reliable Music in Charlotte, which was at yeah. the time the biggest independent music store in the area. And so, Jim called me at work and said, hey, you want to check out this band, Captain Cook and the Coconuts, which was like 85% Buffett, the rest of the stuff was you. like yeah. James Taylor and Little Feet and stuff like wow, that. Wow, fun stuff. Oh, well, fast forward two or three years later, like 96, and I did go to play with Captain Cook and the Coconuts for a while, but they wanted a singing drummer. I see. They already had three-part harmony with the main three guys. Right. But they wanted an extra voice so they'd have three-part harmony with the lead vocal on top of it. I see what it. you're saying. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And the bass player in that band was Franklin Wilkie. And Frank is who replaced Oh uh, Tommy Caldwell in Marshall Tucker Band. Okay, right. So I'm like looking at Wilkie, playing with him. I'm like, well, he's a Southern rock legend to me. Yeah, I mean, I can go to record stores and – yeah. He's my bandmate, but he's been on records. Look at this. Yeah. And it. I spent time with them until they were like, yeah, we really had rather have a singing drummer. And that was the first band I'd ever gotten let go from. Right. Okay. I'd only had three or but
0: four. But not because of drumming, just because you weren't a vocalist. Yeah. So, no. I just
1: wasn't the guy for what they were needing or yeah. wanting at the time. And kind of bummed. And a friend of mine named Frank Sorrell, who'd been on the beach circuit with other bands, like bands, the Fantastic Ks, was one. And also, he played with, uh, oh, gosh, Danny Baker, who was also known as Unknown Henson. I know who that is. Yeah. yeah. Unknown, well, Henson. Unknown Henson was, <laughs> you know, Danny was a star. At we Charlotte. had his tape on our bus in the
0: 90s forever back when John Rich was in the band we yeah. were just sitting to listen to that like Unknown um, Henson stuff. we
1: had uh Unknown Henson then he had a cohort in their uh cable access show named Don Swan okay
0: yeah I remember that okay so yeah.
1: and Don passed unfortunately passed away but Danny kept doing the Unknown Henson thing yeah you know great guitar player too amazing man, guitar Shredder, player
0: man, and great guitar player.
1: funny enough Danny at one point was in Sugar Creek okay is as, that right yeah as it ran through several different iterations before <laughs> he had the hit sideburns the... or no he, he... <laughs> and then i played a gig with danny uh where we played for the clinton's campaign they were not elected oh, wow. yet yeah. right but we were like the house at this fundraiser or whatever okay and danny was on guitar it oh, was it was great i want to meet that guy sometime uh he's very interesting it's, yeah. it's it's very out there. But when yeah. he turns into Unknown Henson, it's, it's, it's really it's, out he there. He takes his character serious, doesn't he? Uh, so, Frank had played uh, – I think Frank played with Danny after this. But Frank's like, hey, uh, buddy of mine named Ron Sheik moved to Nashville. And I knew Ron from mm-hmm. him playing in country bars. <clears throat> he moved to Nashville. Let's go out there and hang out for a week and see what's what. Yeah. And this was – August or September of 96. Okay. And we came out here, and Frank's a drummer as well, Mm -hmm. and he'd been thinking about moving here for a while. So we drove over here. Ron was like, hey, I'm on the road. Stay at my place. Great. Free place to stay. We went out every night to Boardwalk Cafe, Mm -hmm. to Barbara's, to anywhere we could sit in, and the Wild Horse Saloon was uh, up and running.
0: Then we uh, we helped open that place. We it were was like the first band. In the it place. was, but we didn't go there. We were lo- like-
1: we were looking for the 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 club bands that we could sit in with and oh, talk I see. to. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I wanted to sit in. So it was like Steve Mesamore, yeah. who's now with Dirks, was the house guy at Barbara's. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget sitting in at Gabe's. When Gabe's was still behind the hotel on Trinity yeah. Lane. Uh-huh. And the bass player, Brenda Clark, I sat in and not knowing much country, but I could, you know, get through it, hear it, yeah, right. and hear the changes. And Brenda looked at me and she goes, Do you live here? And I said, No. And she goes, Here's my number. Let me know if you move here. Wow. That's and I'm like, great. And we, we both, Frank and I, ran into that like, dude, if yeah. you guys moved here, y'all would work. Yeah. Said, okay, great. And then somewhere in there, in Modern Drummer, in the Ask a Pro section, somebody asked Eddie Bears a question. Yeah. And Eddie told, you know, it lent it to Eddie would have to hear this guy play to make a judgment. Right, okay. So in this, Eddie goes, look, I can't judge what you're asking without, you know, hearing you play. And if anyone else would like to send me a tape to have me critique it, you can send it to the Money Pit in Nashville. Okay. Oh, wow, really Right? So I got you know what video i had and ran audio off of cover songs that i had done or whatever uh-huh, yeah. whatever i could you know here's two minutes of this here's here's three minutes of this mother's finest song yeah you and know, he would actually do it huh eddie eddie would actually critique it oh gosh yeah oh you did oh. if you send it in i sent it to him i still have the letter to this day it's framed in my house um he yeah. obviously listened to all this stuff made notes and had his secretary yeah. type oh, yeah. it up okay Well, he was very nice. Uh, It it said, really like your plan. Great groove. Make sure if you move here, you have a day job to facilitate things while things unfold for you. And the last sentence was, you can use me as a reference. Wow, that's great. And I went, well... The the king of Nashville and drums for me has 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 knighted start, start the van start the moving van yeah and that was that was it that was like wow. I I've got to go do this or I'm going to hate myself if I don't wow right you can use me as a reference that's cool. yeah and then and so I started planning on moving and my buddy Frank decided not to move oh is that right yeah and so January the 11th 1997 played my last gig with the, the band I was in on January 10th me and the bass player and another friend of ours who i still keep in touch with all of them got in a penske truck and my minivan and drove to nashville wow. moved me into my apartment that night we went to third and lindsley and saw jimmy hall wow and i met tommy wells that night and i knew who tommy was from modern drummer right yeah he couldn't have been nicer rest his soul too uh and then, you know, now years later, I'm in a band with Jimmy Hall. Wow. And it's crazy. Yeah. And, and it was just, just go play, you know. And a quote that I've heard uh, in the Foo Fighters documentary when they came here and recorded. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're talking to, like, Dolly Parton and mm-hmm. everybody, and you know, about Nashville. And they're talking to Sheryl Crow about it. And yeah. They're recording over at Zach Brown's place. Yeah. And they interviewed Tony Brown. And Tony Brown says, if you come to Nashville, you can have blind faith but don't have false hope.
0: <laughs> That's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if you put the work in, things will unfold for you. Yeah. And so it just slowly happened. Yeah. And then one night, Gary Allen and his band leader at the time were looking for a drummer. They saw Jim Riley play. Jim had just gotten the Mark Chestnut gig. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jim goes. I can't do it. I'm playing with Mark, but if you're auditioning people, call Rich Redman and Lee Kelly. Yeah, to audition. Wow, nice. And Gary was moving his bunch. Yeah, I'm probably ahead of myself. Yeah. Uh, But within a year and two months, I had an artist gig. I had the Gary Allen gig, March of 1998. Cool. And was just didn't know any of them. And uh, so you started.
0: Learning all the Gary Allen songs and started hitting the road with Gary and oh it was it um, was it was literally like, a whirlwind
1: a yeah auditioned on Monday, I almost called the band leader the night before and told them I'd be wasting their time to be doing it because Gary's first record was very country
0: yeah right, right. it
1: was very straight up Bakersfield tip of the hat to Dwight yeah, right. Yoakam and stuff and the first song was a song called. Send back my heart. Yeah. And that was the first song I had to listen to to learn and chart or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be way too loud and, and <laughs> rock for these guys. Yeah. But that's what they wanted. Yeah. Right. It turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost didn't go do the audition because I thought, well, I'm not going to be the guy for this. I learned from that specific instance. If you get called to do an audition, whether you get it or not, go do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, because right. if you don't... Especially if they
0: call you to come do an audition. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. and it was nice enough for Jim yeah. to throw my name in the hat. Yeah, right. You know, but honestly, I thought as I left, Gary had a... Hey, there you go. Yeah, there we go. There's a horn section. Love again. it. It's <laughs> like Tower of Power, but way <laughs> different. Yeah,
0: right. It's always the same note for some reason. It's <laughs> not going to hear it over my car
1: stereo. <laughs> All right. But... Yeah. Gary had us all bring our drum sets in
0: mm-hmm.
1: Well that's good, that's good yeah, At least if, you're on your own kit you For know. visual, yeah, was, right. and I was on a rack A five piece kit on a rack system yeah. At that time, no modular stands And Rich was right after me And I thought Rich Redman's going, there's no way oh, I'm, I'm getting done. this There's I'm no done. way I'm getting this gig, no way
0: yeah. Well
1: it, it turns out I was the guy for the gig Because they wanted it a little more rough Around the edges, because mm-hmm. they were yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I'll never forget, we played that song first. Yeah. We finished. Nobody said a word. Nobody said a word except the fiddle player, Ollie O'Shea, who spent a lot of time with Jim Lauderdale. Yeah. They had the same kind of sense of humor. Ollie looks over me and goes, Hey, nice tits. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> found out later that's a hey, great job you know oh, yeah right but right. he just had his way of saying <laughs> things very wow. kramer-esque yeah right so and then that just kind of got you started huh got the gig had to immediately start learning everything three days later we left for a month wow first time i'd ever gone to the west coast first time I, well i'd been on a tour bus but nothing you know yeah. national level yeah right yeah but that was the goal like i wanted to get paid for people to take me places yeah, right. Yeah. Me, you know, session stuff, that's cool, yeah. but I'm not that guy. Yeah. But I can go get on a bus and play in front of people and then get paid to see places that yeah. normally I would not be able to see.
0: Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about being in a band and traveling is is that just sitting in the back of the bus and looking out the window and watching the world go by, watching different scenery. For sure. It's like a television show. A very long television show that you're just watching live, you know, it's <laughs>
1: happening right there in front of you. It it's great. great. It's fun. And and that was the Crown Royal Tour. Yeah. That Gary was the opening act, David Lee Murphy was the middle, and Chestnut was the closer. Wow. Nice. And so then to get to know all those guys. But you and, ended up playing for Chestnut, didn't you? Um, yeah. At some point, yeah. It played for Mark uh, about five
0: years later. How much fun was it to play Bubba Shot the Jukebox?
1: fun oh, every man. night i was just so jealous I've always wanted to play that song just everything because Mark's such a great singer too yeah right and Mark's a drummer is that right I didn't yes. know that Mark grew I've, I saw him in my first year in town you know mm-hmm. people would bop into Barbara's. yeah right and he came in one night and sat in playing drums and I was oh, just that's like that's great and, I okay, and then
0: what do you we, think of uh, his drummer Darla now? Oh, I her? love Darla. She's great. I love she Darla. She used to be in Cowboy Crush. Yeah, uh, years ago. That's the first time I'd ever seen her.
1: Yeah, and I did. Uh, so, I did some subbing for Mark right before she was full on. Right. Yeah. Uh So I went back and did a did a few more dates with him with her husband with yeah, Tim right. playing bass. Yeah. But and I went out and saw them. Uh, the last time I saw them was before COVID. Yeah. They right. played the the cahoots out in uh Lebanon where right. I live. Okay. And so I went out there and it was like old home week and that's also when I got to tell Mark I was playing with Hank. Oh, yeah. Nobody had told him. Oh really? Okay. And the band guys were like, "We want you to tell him." <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And and but Mark was great training. Gary was too. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have asked for two, you know. Mark wasn't my second gig, yeah. but those two gigs tied together. One of the reasons, like, it, well, when I sh- when got the gig with Mark, there was no rehearsal. It was like, yeah. here's the songs, chart them. Our first gig was at Moe's down in wow. Katy, Texas. Yeah. And we picked up Mark at his house in Beaumont. And he came out, looked at me, he goes, hey, man, how you doing? Because we already knew each other. We yeah, already right, had a yeah. rapport. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have some fun, aren't we? I said, damn right, man. This is cool, you know. And That's Mark great, I love great acoustic guitar players. Yeah, right. And Gary's a Gary's a really good guitar player. Yeah. Uh and a kind of a gearhead. Yeah. And Mark has great time. Yeah. You know, I love that. Yeah. It makes it easier to cruise the song. Sure, especially a song
0: that starts out just raw with guitar. Yeah. And they have good rhythm and, and they have a good sense of the tempo, and you can just like slide right into that song and then just and feel like nothing's changed, you know.
1: Right. Really great. It just it just feels natural. Yeah. You know. That's cool. <laughs> and so tell me a little bit
0: about the Hank Junior gig. I mean, you're um, I understand that's sort of on and off right now because he's not touring he's not touring a whole bunch, but when he does, you're the drummer.
1: Yeah, he yeah. Hank does 25 to 30 shows a year. I see. Usually between hunting seasons. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So it'll start in May or late April. Yeah. Either one. And then usually go to September. When hunting season starts, he's done. He's done, yeah. And also, if he only does 25 shows a year, uh, it doesn't burn him out. Yeah, right. Because he has literally done this since he was eight years old. No, isn't that crazy? Oh, I had to wrap my head around his entire story and yeah. his family's entire story yeah walking into it because we don't see him at, at soundcheck yeah right. he flies in an hour hour and a half for the gig and by the time we're done playing him off he's gone yeah so it's not like any other artist gig where you're hanging on the bus and you're talking music or anything like that it's like yeah. you better show up and know it yeah so let
0: me ask you have you heard the infamous tape Oh, yes. Of course you have. Oh, yes. Is oh, yes. It, it, tell me it's not like that. I mean, oh, no, that, no, no, uh, that, no, that no. Was no, no. A, that was a one yeah. and a –
1: That was a one and a – oh, no. It, um, <laughs> now, actually, those that
0: don't know who I'm talking about, just you, you, there's probably a lot of you that do know what I'm talking about, <laughs> the infamous tape that, that was recorded Kansas off City. of a soundboard or something where Hank was – let's just say he wasn't having a great night. God bless him. Um, but uh, it was like a lot said, wilder. that's his family – you know, yeah, that was idiotic. a lot
1: wilder back then. Yeah. That was during the Bama Band days okay, with yeah, Bill Marshall right. playing drums. Yeah, uh, and but no, it's not like that at all. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen Hank do a good show, or do a do a bad show. Sorry, yeah, I haven't heard or seen Hank do a bad show in the five years I've been right. with him. He so com- he hasn't
0: done Sunny Boy Jambalaya in a long time. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Whoever's st- listened to that tape knows what I'm talking about. There's still no set list. Sonny boy, Jambalaya. There's still no set list. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Right. Okay. So there, he just there, calls him.
1: It's. It's. You can tell by what he says. Like you know, uh, singers and front men yeah. and artists, they'll get a rhythm about if I say this, that will this will it's introduce a key song. Yeah. And right. this will it's introduce the song yeah, well. Sure. Yeah, so you know good. where he's going to go if he says something. Yeah. But there's an occasional time where there's. Twelve to fifteen songs that he might pull out at any time. Yeah, few of those he's only done once in the five years I've been with him. Wow, but it's, you know, it's, it's great. It's what I, kind of crowds is it? Uh, are y'all doing like big
0: theaters or big? Um, what? What? I haven't seen a Hank show. I don't. I've never seen Hank. Junior I, play live.
1: It's it's kind of like uh, I just have to think about that. I've never seen him play live. It depends on who we're with. If we're like with Skinnerd, yeah, it's an outdoor shed. If we're open, yeah, right. But with Hank, it's like the Thompson Bowling Green Arena in yeah. Knoxville. Twenty thirty thousand, twenty. 000 no, uh, not say you know, uh, ten to fifteen thousand, like 000 municipal, yeah. auditorium, that okay. kind of
0: thing. And I bet all just crazy, just like I mean, it's it's That's has got to be a wild vibe to get up on stage at a it, Hank Junior it's great show and that crowd i mean those people you know
1: and when when mike daly offered me the gig uh he was playing with i was playing with kendall marvel at the time and i was road managing kendall too and i was invested uh kendall when i i had shoulder surgery in 2016 for a rotator Mm -hmm. cuff okay and when i came out of that the first decent gig i got was Kendall Marvel, who had been a singer song or a songwriter for 20 years, but he couldn't write for radio anymore. I like see. Yeah, 2016, yeah. 2017. Yeah. And Kendall co wrote Right Where I Need to Be, which I'm in the video for. And our first two gigs with Kendall was opening for Gary, Yeah. which was great for me. I'm like, dude, this is full circle. Yeah, and then right, some. Yeah. Well, Kendall always used a four piece band him on acoustic guitar, drums, bass, and electric guitar. Okay. If he augmented it, he either hired one of two steel players, Cowboy Eddie Long, who was in the Bama Band, Uh and was with Hank for 15 years, or Mike Daly, who's now been with Hank, I think this might be his 30th year. Wow. It's Jimmy Hall's 33rd year with Hank this year. Yeah. And we were loading out, steel and drums, having the most stuff, and we're loading out. And Mike goes, Hey, we're looking for a drummer for Hank Jr. Do you think you'd be interested? do what
0: (laughs) do you think i I would be interested
1: i was so shocked by it (laughs) i went home and and me and my wife me and my ex-wife talked about it and we kept coming back to it's hank williams jr i've got to at least see what's up right and it fell well enough in the schedule where i didn't have to tell kendall about it and they had me come out and watch two shows when's the last time you saw hank I said, oh, 2004 at Jamboree in the Hills. I'll right, never yeah. forget. Mark Mark, and I sat on the side of the stage and watched him. Wow. And so he's like, well, why don't you come out and watch two shows? And Keo was playing drums, filling in at the yeah. time.
0: Okay. He's come, been on my podcast, Keo's yeah. yeah,
1: Oh, yeah. I've known Keo since he moved to town. Right, I think yeah. I saw one of his first gigs at 3rd and Lindsley.
0: Yeah. Before he
1: was with Big and Rich and all that. Oh, way before wow. that. Yeah. What a uh, cool guy. Oh, he's great. He's all, and he's a great ambassador for oh, yeah. for drumming right. and stuff yeah, like that. Is. And so I went out, and the first night I just kind of watched Hank and where he's okay. What's his body movements like? Where's his tempo at? Yeah. Uh, what is he? Which foot does he tap with? That's another thing there to you watch. Go. Yes. That's another thing to watch. Uh, because all of them do it. Yeah. They all do it at one point or another. Or you got to make sure that that. Guitar rhythm is right there with you. Yeah. Right. And the second night, they gave me a set of ears, and I could still walk to the front of the house with the ears on and not lose signal. Really? Wow, that's cool. And by the first part of the second night, I had him. I'm yeah. like, oh, I've got him. I yeah. said, I, I I, could follow that guy anywhere. It's going to yeah. be a piece of cake. And so we go to, my audition was a gig, mm-hmm. was in Guilford, New Hampshire, opening for Skinnard. Wow. Yeah. And... So we got in the room with the band, and ran through the stuff, and it didn't have that oomph. Yeah. And Mike Daly called me that night. And he goes, "It's just missing one thing, Hank." He goes, "You'll see." Yeah, it's fifteen thousand watts. It's volume. It's, yeah, it's energy. Everything. Oh, it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, all totally. that stuff. It's it's everything that makes him a five time Entertainer of the Year winner. Yeah, right. It's it's all that, and the vibe that goes with it. I mean, you've seen stars walk on stage. It's like yeah. Wow, and you in know, her room, yeah. there's that aura around him, yeah. and we did the audition. I met Hank before the show. We did the au- did the thing and been there the ever live, since.
0: The live gig audition slash uh, <laughs> yeah tryout, yeah, yeah.
1: And wow. it was it's it's great. Uh, he's fun to play behind. It's loud. Yeah, it's it let me bring two kick drums out.
0: Yeah, you know, wow. oh, going that's back.
1: Cool. oh yeah, I added uh, a second kick drum after my first year. Like. What, no, you, what song do you use it on? It's mostly song endings. Oh, you know, right. Trash Trashing the Tennessee yeah, and yeah, Dryer thing. The big burnout. I yeah. do use it in Kalijah. Oh, of course. I'll use yeah, both kick I drums and I forgot that". that, yeah. And the first time I did it, our front of house guy, Billy Klein... I said, "Hey, did you notice did you notice I added the second kick drum in the verse of Kalijah? He goes, "I was wondering why it got so loud, then I realized what you were doing." Because wow. they were nice enough. I said, "If I'm going to put a second kick drum out, I don't want to fake it." Yeah, right. Yeah. Because I want to see the I want people to see the air moving. Yeah. There's a
0: difference between double kick and double kick pedal. Yeah. As Tommy Aldrich would say in his like double kick video that he's got his instructional mm-hmm. thing. It just sounds heavier. It's a it's a
1: different feel and it was more of a look thing and i was already setting up from my shoulder surgery i was already setting up cockeyed and Uh i still do yeah uh i set up my kick drum kind of going out a little bit sure yeah and then the the toms are centered
0: yeah so my
1: snare is between the 10 and the 12 already nice
0: yeah that's the classic setup right there yeah but you got to reach way over for the hi-hat right
1: no not at all it's right it's right there it's next to my double pedal and when oh, okay, I had gotcha, it, yeah, and the, the hi-hats are literally maybe three centimeters off the rim of the 10-inch tom. Oh, all right. okay. You know, so it's right there. But when I realized, okay, I can either have a modular stand there or mm-hmm. a kick drum would do the trick. Yeah. And so I called Greg at Yamaha and said, I want to add a second kick drum. And I play the tour custom series. Yeah. And those only come in shell packs. He couldn't okay, send yeah, me just right, the yeah. kick drum. So he sent me 10, 12, 16, 22, and in the conversation he said, maybe you can take that extra four time and put it on your hi-hat side. Perfect. Oh, there you go, yeah. And so it's 10, 12, 116 next to my hi-hat, tuned high, huh. and then the lower so, 16 yeah. on the other side. Wow, that's cool. And so it also has forced me to play where I use that, use that 16. Yeah. So instead of going around to the... 16 on my ride cymbal side yeah right a lot of times i'll end it up with this so side. you end up with your right hand free right to, to, yeah, so i, I end up you. on yeah. that side I, I see and then you figure out practicing wow snare 10 12 16 16. Yeah. That, 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 hey that, that, what's that, the that.
0: um what's the kick pattern at the beginning of um uh i'm um oh rowdy, friend. rowdy friends uh, yeah. you know that the weird thing that goes dud, dud. Down. Oh dude it's got this real syncopated
1: on the record right. well, kick we thing that happens that you're like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> yeah, which we don't do that part. Oh, really? Well he we uh piano just starts it. And then it's big diamonds and then the kick comes. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's more yeah. dramatic. Live. It's a live version. Yeah, yeah it's more you. dramatic than, than I, that. I didn't
0: know if you had honored the like the studio version where it goes.
1: Like no, you know, not quite, or whatever it is. But yeah. I, d- but I d- did do that on Kalijah. Oh, did you? Yeah, for sure. I, when I, anytime I get a gig and they go, "Here's the live tape." Yeah, I'll always go back to the studio versions too. Yeah, to see okay, that what's different or something. Yeah, yeah right, what's yeah. different? And then I listened to Kalijah, and then realized it was Larry London on the track. Uh. and it's got such a cool. Thing before the verse, dun, 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 yeah. the riff. Right. Yeah. The drum stuff under it is busy as hell. Yeah. And so I've been able to take that and do it, and it incorporates all four times. So it's, you play like you're going around the kit yeah. the correct way, left to right, but somewhere in there I'll go right to left. Yeah. And then bring it back around. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. But I'll try to honor it if it's, you know,
0: if he worth pulls doing a, if it's si-
1: yeah yeah right. if it's signature for sure yeah. do it mm-hmm. i always thought like yeah. the, the crowd whether they know it or not yeah subliminally they want to hear that yeah they want yeah, subliminally it, yeah. it's like we go to there's a reason that all the like steve smith with journey and all that yeah right even though they would play out yeah sometimes the signature stuff was always there yeah right you know it's like seeing all the drummers in the rush show do spirit of radio you <laughs> know, right. in the air that that, kind of which thing. is the whole first five rows is
0: all air drummers right <laughs> yeah for sure yeah yeah so what's coming up for real. you are you um you busy this year i mean doing some more uh hank junior dates
1: or? oh yeah we start uh we're going to go down to tuscaloosa on may the 11th to start i'm putting the kit together now which I don't know if you saw my kit the other day, because we were done by the I time y'all came too, out. Man, when we were out the uh, year with Little Texas, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but I'm putting the Hank kit together now. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think Comes it's our great, man. section again. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I w- I'd record in here anyway, and if oh, that's just on there, who cares? There, yeah, who like, cares? Well, And I'm on the Tour Custom Kit between me finding some on eBay and the Yamaha guys helping me finish, find what I needed. I'm putting wood hoops on the kit. Oh, cool. Yamaha wood hoops. Nice. um, And two bass drums, the same setup, same set. I'm just changing the look of it a little bit. I like playing the Tour Custom Kit because, one, it sounds great. None of Yamaha's stuff sounds bad, you know. Yeah, right. None of their stuff sounds bad. And it all has that Yamaha thing in it. Yeah, There's right. a tone, yeah, tonality. Tone, yeah. There's the a tonality quality. to them. is different that sure it even, is that speaks to me. To me, it's the depth, the depth of the drums.
0: Like, mm-hmm. I, like if I had my Mapex kit, which I have a play now, is like I don't know if you saw it. It's I did. A, it's a hybrid. It's sort of like Mapex and Yama. I call it Yamapex. Yeah. <laughs> so I noticed that the the Mapex drums are they sound great, but they're not quite as deep. But then the Yamaha Studio uh,
1: Recording Series, yep. they're they're just that much deeper. And, and they have so much tone. There's something about the attack within yeah. that as well. Yeah. But also, I like playing the midline kit live, because if a drummer is at a Hank show, they could see that kit and afford it.
0: Yeah, I see. Yeah.
1: You know right. what I mean? And I like that. Yeah. It's like, it, you know, we went to Rush shows, and yeah, or whatever, and we couldn't have afforded that yeah, stuff. Right. My first real kit was a Yamaha Power V kit. when. Yeah. So they you're made them honoring
0: a the, the Yamaha a little bit by saying, you know, look, I'm making this, like, advertising. Hell yeah. You know, I'm inspiring, hopefully, kids that could afford this kit and might go out and buy it.
1: Yeah, and you I've know? got an absolute hybrid yeah. maple kit, and I've got a recording custom kit at my house. But that kit in matte black just yeah. happens to sound great, and also it looks really cool behind Hank. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. And you don't have to change a lot up, but we're starting May 11th. And I've been doing the little Texas thing, subbing for Dell for all two years now. Yeah, how's Dell doing? He's doing better. I think he's got uh, another operation scheduled coming yeah. up, and so they're hoping by the end of summer, yeah, that he comes back.
0: Well, we hope all that my listeners out there will give prayers out to to Dell. yeah uh and hope for a recovery
1: yeah what a great guy just a sweetheart and Mm -hmm. his positive energy has helped get him through this medical stuff and he's doing great he looks fantastic that's good so he probably just needs you know once everything's done get his stamina back yeah right yeah so those guys have been nice enough to if hank starts touring if there's holes in it they have me come they get a sub for me.
0: I see. Yeah. So and you're the it, first call besides Dell right. and then they got somebody you know, else. Yeah. And it, it all you goes
1: can't do it. it all goes back to for me is locking in with a bass player, the first time being propes, Dwayne Propes sat in together was when they were on hiatus. Right. Yeah. And he showed up at a club downtown and we sat in, it was one of those, whoa, you you've played with bass players before. Yeah, I mean uh-huh. probably Ralph's probably that way, sure, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where you play with them and it's like, whoa what that's that was magical that's and there's several in town that i've been lucky enough to play with over the years that you it's kind of like and we're back yeah kind of thing
0: that feeling yeah yeah well there's nothing else for a band that that, no better feeling for a band to play with a good bass player and a drummer that lock in together there's just that it's like having a good foundation of a house or, or a building you know
1: yeah oh and i'll tell you speaking of that i'll go back to gary allen uh the bass player that was with Gary when I joined uh, he and I butted heads quite a bit because to me it didn't feel like it should yeah right. There was just something that wasn't right and somewhere along the line he ended up having a kid with a girl in South Carolina mm-hmm. so he took off for the weekend to go be at the birth of the child yeah well our guitar player who was Jody Maphis yeah you know Joe Maphis and Rosalie Maphis' son who also is a drummer, he gets Kevin Grant to come sit in. You know Kevin? I don't know Kevin. Session player. He was in Mike Brookshire and the Starving Hounds with Mike Kennedy when I moved to town. Right. He goes by Swine. Okay. He's on so many records, it's ridiculous. So, So Maphis gets Swine to come out and play bass. The first note of the first song the entire other five members of the band, when we kicked in, they almost broke their necks turning around because it was so dramatically different and better mm-hmm. wow. yeah. than what had been going on. I mean, it just it locked down like wow. nobody's business. You know, yeah. here's a guy who's used to playing sessions, and he's reading it. Mm-hmm. And it feels better than it ever had. Yeah, right. And I walk up on the bus after the gig, and Gary's sitting there shaking his head. I said, that's what was missing. Right, yeah. And then, not long after that, we auditioned bass players for Gary, and the bass player is still there today.
0: Wow. Brian Arsenault. But just knowing that that you... Probably should make a per- personnel change at some point.
1: Yeah, but to, sometimes you, you get, don't get hear feel it. What
0: it's really like, what but, you could
1: have. Yeah, but when it's obvious, when it's laid out, and you, you're like, "Whoa, that was really yeah. that was really that obvious was of yeah. the the difference in it." Yeah, you know. And luckily, I've been fortunate enough to play with great bass players, you know. Wow. And now, yeah. you know, Michelle Poe and and Dwayne Probes. Yeah. So I'm spoiled. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool.
0: Well, we'll uh, look for you out on this year. This year out with uh, Hank Jr. and yeah. a little bit of little little Texas here and there. Yeah. And uh, it was great talking to you. And thanks for coming to the Bankhaven. Thanks you for know. having me, man. Yeah, it was so it's good little...
1: to run into you again. Yeah. And also get to thank you for the influence you have had on me.
0: Well, anytime, <laughs> brother. Anytime. Well, this has been Keith Rainwater and Lee Kelly on designated drummer. And we'll talk to you guys next time. See ya. Bye.